Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 12th of May 2020. Mark Pender is across the pond stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. As governments struggle to get national economies moving again without adding to the COVID-19 death toll, by and large financial markets are still looking through the current global slump in anticipation of much better things ahead. It remains to be seen how much longer such optimism can continue as the downturn in economic data still steepens and deflation becomes an increasing risk as the collapse in demand compounds the recent slump in oil prices, which, despite an unconvincing bounce on promised additional production cuts by Saudi Arabia, are still about 60% lower on the year. In fact, India has just gone one better as coronavirus knock-on effects there actually prevented the publication of today's April CPI report. On which note, Mark, you've just had an inflation update your side. How, yes. how soft was it? You mean a deflation update? Indeed. Well, it is. You know, uh, the policymakers, it's, we're not in deflation, it's disinflation. Well, month to month, the last couple of months, it is deflation. And uh, minus 0.8% overall for April, uh, reflecting oil and just a slew of things from airlines, anything to do with a vehicle, apparel is getting um, is getting knocked around. The core fell 0.4%, which is the all-time record. That's 60, 63 years of uh, data, and it's never fallen this much. Um, and that was below, just below uh, the kind of day consensus range. And but this um, was that measure, broad based? Was that like everything going down? Pardon me. Sorry, in the core in the core index, was that sort of everything going down? Yeah, well, it excludes uh, energy, yeah. uh, and, uh, which is a, the the most negative factor in the month. Uh, twenty twenty one percent decline in gasoline. Also, in, uh, excludes food, which is a uh, rising very sharply, especially food at home, but nothing to the extent that oil is falling. Um, but uh, the uh, the core was um, just about everything outside of uh, medical services and uh, food. Uh, everything else was going down. And the year-on-year -year rate for the core is at plus 1.4. So it's still safely in the plus category, that, um, but it's going down now. That's disinflation. Uh, but uh, overall prices are at 0.3% on the year. They don't have a lot uh, of room to go, but they, they um, uh, can fall into the negative zone now and then uh, because of energy, especially over the years. But then they pop right back up. Whether they'll pop right back up now is another question. But, you know, there is a silver lining in this is because of all the uh, economic stimulus we're getting, whether it's government spending or um, central bank um, loans. Uh, uh, these are all very inflationary and risk, um, you know, debasing currency. But uh, that doesn't seem to be a risk right now for policymakers at all. So continued extended, however much stimulus you can you can throw at this, uh, is you know th that has that hasn't been diminished at all. It's interesting to say about that. It just shows us only the changing circumstances, isn't it? And I suppose I just you know, reference um, the Norges Bank, so the Norwegian Central Bank last week. Uh, they came out with their updated, I think it's quarterly inflation report. They have a, a 2% inflation target, like so many central banks these days. And they showed their target being exceeded in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So right through the, the forecast period. And yet they came out and cut interest rates by 25 basis points down to zero. So it really does, I think, highlight the fact now that you know central banks and let's say positive inflation rates is simply not an issue for them anymore. They didn't update their inflation uh, targets. 
No, they kept the targets. They they they've got infl- they, they forecast inflation. They maintain oh. they maintain inflation target a bit like a bit like UK and the the, the um the ECB have at the moment. UK's two percent, ECB just short of two percent, whatever that really means. Yeah. But no, that is left the same. But they showed inflation above it. Over the long period, which means that inflation, that policies, strictly speaking, is too loose. Well, and yet, they still came out and cut rates. Well, me personally, I've already deleted all the two percent lines in my inflation graphs. <laughs> I know so. what you mean. <laughs> Start marking the minus two percent yeah. on this right? <laughs> well, a little, you know, a little uh, grim humor. That's all, you know. What can you say? Well, it's interesting looking at. I was looking at some of the other figures we've had out. I mean, you know, inflation also all around the world is clearly coming down now. And obviously, as you mentioned, a big chunk of it has got to do with the collapse in oil prices. But we are also, you know, seeing it seems certainly across Europe, it seems Asia, increasing signs now that you know the downturn in demand led by uh, the COVID crisis is simply you know, having a a, a de- ultimately a deflationary impact on the level of prices. Mm-hmm. And even countries such as I don't know the, the likes of China. China, well, okay, we still have what a 3.3% headline inflation rate there. You know, that when it came out was well short of market expectations, the lowest we've seen in quite a while. And then non food index in China is running at just 0.4% now. So, I mean, you know, wherever you want to look, these inflation numbers are low and quite clearly, unless something happens to oil, and that's kind of hard to see at the moment, um, mm. you know, there's got to be a chance they, they go sub zero. And in fact, just on that note, interesting enough, uh, broad, um, Ben Broadbent. He's one of the uh, deputy governors for the Bank of England. He was on the wires literally about 20, 20 minutes or so ago, warning that UK inflation could go negative at the back end of this year and early in 2021. Now, he's pretty quick to rule out, you know, this doesn't mean deflation. That's the last thing, obviously, our central bank wants to admit to. Um, but again, it's just a sign of a sign of the times that you know, we'll end up at this rate with real interest rates going up because uh, inflation is going into negative territory. Well, I just called up the uh, Chinese uh, PPI here on my uh, calendar, uh, my uh, my widgets uh, calendar of events here at Conaday, and uh, 3.1% negative year-on-year for Chinese PPI wholesale prices. So underneath the consumer prices, that's deflationary. And the month-to-month was minus 1.3. So that's pretty significant under, but, uh, under the zero line. But I also saw was it last week the was it Swiss consumer prices or was it Swiss producer prices or both or import prices they were under the zero line they've been there for a couple of months is that right yeah, Switzerland. I must say, it'd be interesting to see what happens at the next uh, Swiss Swiss National Bank meeting. Their central bank, where well, that's due on June the 18th, because they're starting to see some really bad numbers coming out now. And as you mentioned, the the actual inflation figures, the CPI figures for April, they show year on year rate now of minus 1.1 percent, and it's minus 0.5 percent in March. But say a big fall coming down coming down in in April itself. And if we strip out you know the usual food and energy components, Components look at the core. Well, that's now running at minus 0.5%. Now, of course, for them, part of this part of the problem, as we talked about uh, so often in the past, is the fact the currency is so ridiculously strong. And so, while it would seem, looking at the equity markets, that there's this kind of underlying belief that things are going to work out okay, and therefore it's fine to keep buying equities. You know, from the currency market side, particularly in Europe, anyway, people are still buying Swiss francs, even though you know interest rates drop pretty well right across the curve don't give you any money they're all negative yeah well it's interesting for the uh, listeners uh, on european inflation data they're out very early that may will be out in a couple of weeks uh is that right and that's a couple of weeks in advance of anything out of the u.s 
Yeah, that's right. And well, well, we've already got the April flash HICP, as they call it, in the Eurozone rate. I mean, that came in at what, just 0.4% on a headline basis. So that's year on year inflation of the Eurozone, provisional April down from 0.7% final in March. Now, that's going to come down almost certainly again once we get into May. And the risk for them, of course, is always like so many central banks, they concentrate more upon the core rates. But the core rates are starting to move down as well. So there are going to be some genuine concerns there. Well, you know, it, it seems that the European data has generally been much, especially employment, much more stable than what we've we're, we're, what we're seeing in the U.S. or Canada, especially where we're getting this massive job losses. But is the inflation uh, going to be? Uh, it, does that also? Are, are everything just more stable in Europe compared to uh, to to the U.S.? I've got to be honest and say, no, I, I don't think that is the case. I think it's got much more to do with the fact that most of the real side, the real economy, economic data are lagging you know, several weeks behind what you see. So when you look at what's happening to you know, the, the soft data, the survey data, you know, let's go back to the other week, you know, it's record falls and everything, it's unpre- unprecedented declines in everything. So I do believe that once we start to get the April data coming through, when you get the real lockdown effect starting to take place, then you really are going to see some pretty nasty numbers as it is those kind of hot spots we've had in europe which you know, had the lockdown being entered into first so in particular the likes of italy you know which was for a long time the major the major problem area for um for the, uh, the coronavirus retail sales there for march they were down 20.5 percent on the month now that we're going to start to see figures, I think, like that for the rest of the eurozone once we really get into the into the April numbers. Indeed, eurozone March retail sales themselves were down what just over eleven percent, if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. So we are starting to see some really nasty figures coming through now. Right, and that's the production side. Now, Italy, I'm just checking the calendar. They came out with industrial production today, right? And um, the production side is less. Is it declining less severely than uh, than the demand side, or is it the same? <laughs> well, I mean. If what it's worth, I mean, the, the month-on-month change was um, was even worse than the retail sales. I say retail sales were down almost 21%. Industrial production was down over 28%. So, I mean, it's just, well, it's, it's the same issue, isn't it? The workers can't go to work and actually produce yeah. anything. The workers right. are at home, so they got limited spending opportunities, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And, of course, lost income. Yeah. So, it's difficult to, you know, dig their way out of this. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. Uh, production, the, the structure of production is going to have to change. There's going to have to be more distancing um, mm-hmm. in the facilities. And that will take time, investment, um, and there will be delay. But it's not like you can't do it. Um, you just can't work elbow to elbow anymore. Like we, uh, that was, I guess, a typical production. It's efficient. It gets everyone, you know, uh, close together on the conveyor belt, so to speak. But... Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, last week, I suppose I should mention just quickly, we had the, the Bank of England meeting. Now, they came out as expected with no change in interest rates. So, bank rate left at 0.1%. There was a split on their quantitative easing target. Um, a couple of members, uh, Saunders and Haskells, who really, they're the two main doves anyway. They came out asking for an extra 100 billion of asset purchases. But part and parcel of last week's report was we got the, um, the updated quarterly, what well, used to be called, of course, quarterly inflation report from the bank. Now I refer to it as the monetary policy report. And that gave their first kind of indication of what they kind of think might happen. Now, they don't actually call it a forecast anymore. I can't say I blame them for that because no one's got a clue. They refer to it as indicative scenario. 
And this suggested uh, UK GDP would go down on a quarterly basis, about 3% in the first quarter, which, to be honest, is nothing particularly surprising. Second quarter, they're talking about a collapse of 25%. But then they expect a V-shaped recovery and um, output to get back to its sort of pre-recession level by the middle of next year. And I must say, I'm, I'm a bit dubious on that. I think, you know, from what you were saying about when the world starts working again, it's going to be working in a very different form to how it used to before. So somehow you've got to get these people to get back to, you know, current, well, pre, pre-recession levels of output in the UK or any other country. You're going to need as a starting point, ideally, you know, the same workers work in the same hours in the same environment as productively as before. But they're not only working in the same environment. They probably won't be working the same hours. There probably won't be as many people working anyway because some won't be re-employed. Mm-hmm. So I think this idea of a real quick V-shaped recovery, it yeah. may be to some extent, but getting back to where we were, yeah. wouldn't surprise you, it takes a lot longer. You have to change the physical structures of the production facilities, uh, both you know the structures and the equipment and um, perhaps even retraining. You know, uh, you were talking about the doves and the BOE. There is risk to extra stimulus and that this stimulus ends up uh, in f- further perhaps I want to give myself my hand away but it creates further inflation in the equity prices which creates then again uh, 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 the the risk of a, 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 a you know counter move and a collapse so you can't you know I mean there's it, 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 there's a balance here of how much stimulus you know can they really successfully mm. and, and and favorably impact the situation with. And I think you know, a, a, you know, kind of the, the bottom line to that little lot is that really monetary policy is not the appropriate policy to be changing to deal with an international you know, with an international virus which has got nothing to do with economics. You know, at the end of the day, the only real real way out of this is to get a vaccine. Um, you keep, we keep being talks about, oh, someone's got, you know, developing one. We may or may not get one this year or it's going to be next year or who knows we get one in the next few months. But until that actually happens, you know, you can throw as much money as you want at these financial markets. That's not going to make people go back to work, even if they're supposed to, if they don't feel safe. Uh-huh. Well, you know, AIDS was a virus and it took a generation or, or, yeah. or, or to to solve. So Difficult. Um Okay, what else have we got? I suppose from the European side, I just mentioned it briefly last week. I suppose give a quick update because this could be important. Um, for listeners who hadn't tuned off by then, um, mentioned last week that the German High Court, a constitutional court, has basically gone to the ECB and told it that it's not really happy with the amount of bonds that it's purchasing. And what's what they call a proportionality report from the ECB delivered within three months to basically explain what's going on. Now, the ECB, as you can imagine, is none too chuffed about this. Um, at least four members of their council came out last week and said, look, it's got nothing to do with Germany's constitutional report. Um, we are independent. We're going to do our own thing. We've also now had the, uh, the EU commissioner, um, sorry, the, the EU president um, push comes to shove, we could actually see a European um, Commission executive arm considering uh, possible infringement proceedings against Germany. Mm. So this is starting to build up. And I think at the moment, there's clearly a lot of politicking going on because the last thing either side wants to see is the European Union fall apart. Mm-hmm. But were this to continue as it is at the moment, at the same time as when you've got all this fracturing taking place due to the COVID virus effects on countries in the south, particularly like Italy, which is simply desperate to get 
funding out of the EU Commission. And these talks we've talked about in the, part, in the past, this rescue fund, they're just dragging on and on and on, not really getting anywhere. Then all these sort of fault lines we're seeing across the Union, or certainly the Eurozone, if this thing runs on you know, much longer, it, it, it really could be significantly damaging to the outlook for, well, certainly for the European currency anyway. Uh, immediately, does this German court ruling have... Um, any immediate impact structurally on uh, European bailout? Not immediately, no. I mean, ostensibly, the, um, the German High Court has given the ECB three months. So there's going to be a lot of talk between now and then as to what's going on. Um, I think, yeah, as we talked about in the past, uh, the German attitude towards fiscal and monetary policy is very much down the hard line route. You know, they still take the view that, as you were saying earlier, it's, it's possible if we throw so much money at the economy from all these central banks doing the same sort of thing, it could ultimately lead to, if it's not an increase in the likes of CPI inflation, it leads to asset price inflation, which you know, is completely and utterly unjustified and leads to a collapse somewhere. And that is still very much the, the kind of fear that I think a lot of the German policymakers adhere to at the moment. Um, but you know, they want to maintain the monetary, economic and monetary union across Europe. They don't want to see it fracture. So it's going to be you know, really interesting to see how the politics both across the region and even with just within Germany itself you know, develop over the course of the next few months. And how, so is, think, the German, how is the German economy doing right now? Is it fracturing? Um, well, it's struggling like everybody else, and we'll actually get at long last, because these figures are, are so late, we'll get the flash German first quarter GDP data out on Friday. Now, our guess, I mean, I don't think we have a full consensus on that yet, but it looks like our, off the top of my head would be somewhere down between probably 2 and 3% on a quarter for German flash GDP. But again, if you look at the more up-to-date survey readings, really, they're much in the line with what we're seeing coming out of France or you know, some of the more... Some of the, um, uh, the more industrialized countries within the union. So they're struggling like everybody else. And for right. Germany, as we talked about in the past, they are heavily dependent upon exports. So anything which starts hitting global trade again, which we've already got because of the coronavirus, if we do get this spat between US and China, uh, over over you know the COVID blame game. If that starts depressing world trade even further, then German could actually Germany could actually come out of this extremely badly. So it's hard to see anyone who's doing um, sort of well in this kind of environment at the moment. Um, okay, what else we got? Um, I suppose I should mention what, in terms of central banks this week or this evening, I should say, we'll get the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Um, now, no real change in interest rates is expected there um, today. They already cut interest rates to a record low of 0.25% not long ago. But there is quite a lot of speculation they could come out and increase their asset purchases, possibly even double them. Um, and as we said, I think last week, it's just worthwhile keeping an eye on the RBNZ at the moment because it was their central bank governor who hinted that the bank uh, could use its asset purchases to directly finance the government debt. Yeah. Um, now, that's been turned down apparently by the, the Kiwi Finance Ministry so far, but the vir just by virtue of the fact it's already out there. You know, we could yeah. see the Reserve Bank pushing for more and more of this if the economy you know, continues to spiral down. Well, you know, a, a, an interesting thing, I think, to watch for New Zealand economic data is they seem to be kind of a control group. Um, their economy and their public seems to be much more, um, the virus uh, impact is much uh, more limited. So it'd be interesting to see, they, in theory, you would think that they would do better 
economically than others, yep. uh, at least internally. Um, but it, but it's, it's something to keep an, uh, an eye on to see um, if the global demand or, or, uh, or dislocations, how badly it affects them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, since I think at the moment you have these, these discussions ongoing about creating a sort of trade bubble involving um, Australia and New Zealand. So effectively, you get you know, free movement of trade and everything else between um, Australia and New Zealand. But you still have barriers put up, particularly in terms of you know, people moving into the country. You still have quarantine restrictions and everything else uh, for those countries for the rest of the world. So, of course, again, that's that's again just another you know, the hit to global trade, or at least it's not relaxing one of the big constraints we got on global traders uh, generally, particularly if other countries like I know, Europe or whoever it you know, starts going down the same road. Aye, well, difficult times. Um, I think I've done my bit. Anything else you fancy sticking well, in? Well, I guess I just, uh, you know, it's not a note of optimism, but, um, I, you know, we had the employment report, uh, U.S. employment report, and it was along with the Canadian uh, April reports, and they were um, cataclysmic and yeah. catastrophic. Uh, you know, 20.5 million decline in non-farm payrolls, uh, which was expected. And still go up. Equities still go up, and right? they it's just, yeah, it's and, and they rallied on it. Yeah, quite, well, that's what I'm saying. It's less than expected, but the numbers are well, just so th ridiculous. There's so much hot money in the market yeah. because of all this stimulus. Uh, investors borrowing that money and putting it into the stock market, and if you get a ride in the Nasdaq, you know you can turn a quick buck. And also the unemployment rate. The, you know, there's uh, both Canada and the U.S. are you know um, uh, hair splitting, fudging a little bit on how you define a temporary job loss. It's just about 15 percent for the U.S. and Canada is roughly the same, or 20% unemployment, um, depending on how you, you define um, uh, these losses. But since that U.S. report, you know, there's been 7 million uh, new initial claims, because that was sampled in the middle of April. Since then, there has been 7 million initial new claims, and the Canada consensus for, for Thursday's weekly jobless claims report in the U.S. is another 2.5 million. So um, it's going to be another ugly, very, very ugly month for the May report. And um, this is, you know, however deep we talked about it, when you get in there, it feels you're cold and lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that cheery note, then, let's, let's um, call, it, call it a day for today. Um, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. So do join us then. And in the interim, remember to keep up to date with all the key data and events in the Conde's global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.